welcome to Associated, the podcast for making venture capital more accessible. I'm Lois and today I'm co-hosting with my good friend Petra. Hello, how's your day been? Hi Lois, it's been good. It's been good. I um, I went on a 15 kilometer walk through London yesterday, which I didn't realize was 15 kilometers. And today my thighs are just like insanely sore. So I'm quite glad that all I had to do was sit and work today. <laughs> that sounds nice did you go past any landmarks oh no we just we wouldn't stop talking and we just did like circles around the park and then we realized that we were just doing circles around the park and then we decided to go home because we had done like seventeen thousand steps or something ridiculous <laughs> that sounds amazing i think that's a good idea to get your steps in sometimes yeah. it can be hard to do that in lockdown very true um, I'm super excited about our guests today. Yeah, I'm excited about it too, because I think this is the first time that we're hosting two guests at the same time. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. It's excellent. Very, very exciting. It's double trouble. <laughs> All right. So we're joined by Michael Tafula and Kathy Gramoka, and both of them are principals at Downing Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Great. Well, we're really excited to speak to you. And actually, Michael, I think I went to university with your cousin. Is that correct? Simon? Oh, yes. So that's my brother. That's my brother. Oh, your your brother. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. He's a fashion company founder. Is that correct? Yeah, so he's been sort of working on a couple of different ideas. And fashion was one of the ideas that he's worked on. So yeah, you know, very much in the tech community and and, and ecosystem alongside myself. Great. Thanks for that. Um, So yeah, we'd love to hear more about Downing Ventures and, you know, what both of you guys do there. So Downing Ventures is the venture capital arm of Downing LLP, which is an investment management firm that's been around for 37 years has about 1.2 billion assets under management and does a whole range of things and largely made its name in asset-backed investing, but started doing venture capital investing from EIS and VCT funds uh, about six, seven years ago. And right now we're focused on late seed through to series B, investing 500K to 5 million in businesses that have some form of permanent establishment in the UK. So they don't have to be headquartered here. They can be headquartered in New York, which is uh, what one of my portfolio companies is, but they have to have at least um, one senior decision maker based here in the UK to qualify for EIS and VCT. And we're broadly sector agnostic, but um, Michael can probably touch on our approach to thesis and sector focus a little bit better than I can. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just, I guess sort of carrying on from what Kathy has said, you know, Downing is sort of this massive platform where... Historically, we've been able to invest in lots of different spaces. And, you know, the Ventures team actually started out being fairly sector agnostic. So we would sort of invest across multiple sectors, um, mainly a pre-seed, and we've evolved to actually move up to late seed and Series A+. Plus. Uh, but I think in, in the last few years, and actually more recently now, we're starting to sort of get the team to think about pockets of specialism that people can start focusing on. So, you know, across the investment team, the great thing about being a Downing is that you get quite a lot of freedom to explore uh, wherever your interests take you, as long as you build up some expertise and some knowledge and networks in those particular pockets. So across the team, everyone's working on somewhat different theses and somewhat different sectors, but we're all kind of hoping to have, you know, this specialism and at least this experience and network in, in specific areas of interest that we can start to invest in. 
So Kathy and Michael, could you tell us a little bit more about your backgrounds and how you guys got to Downing? So Michael's been with Downing about a year longer than I have. Um, He's the reason I'm at Downing. So we went to business school together. Funnily enough, we weren't actually that close during the MBA. So there's three of us and in the same class, but never really hung out, which is weird because we're best friends now. So I don't really understand how that happened. But I, after the MBA, went to join Microsoft and just had the fantastically great fortune that being at the right place at the right time, Michael put a message into our alumni group saying that he's working for this venture capital fund that's recruiting. And I was looking for something else to do because my job at Microsoft wasn't quite the right fit for me. And yeah, so managed to convince Downing to hire me off the back of Michael making a kind intro and championing me, which I think a lot of people have that kind of story when it comes to breaking into VC that they had someone who just, you know, championed them and took a chance. And from my perspective, no business being in venture capital, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I had no background in investment banking or accounting. So came at the uh, job application with a lot of self-doubts, which I think is an experience a lot of people share. So yeah, You're probably underselling yourself a little bit there. Uh, it, it was all down to Kathy. Out of all the people that we interviewed, Kathy was the only person that did a deep dive in the portfolio. She literally came into the interview with a list of all the companies and all the thoughts that she had on those specific companies. And she was the only person that did that. You know, She actually did a deep dive on the Downing portfolio because... You know, a lot of times you interview people and you ask them about companies that they're interested in or you ask you know, what they think about your portfolio and they'll typically just name companies they've seen on the website. Whereas Kathy actually went beyond that. You know, she had this massive spreadsheet with all the companies that we'd invested in. She definitely put a lot of work into the process uh, and she was by far the best person we interviewed. I think that is the moral of the story. You can make up for a lack of experience by just coming really prepared. But it is awkward when you're going through the interview process. In a lot of funds, they'll give you a case study on a business that they've invested in and a case study of a business they're about to invest in. And I got one of those and came out of it saying, well, I wouldn't invest in this one for all these reasons. They were saying, great, we're going to announce that tomorrow. (laughs) That was awkward. (laughs) But it goes to show, you know, being honest and having opinions that aren't aligned with the consensuses, obviously, as you guys will know, is what venture capital is all about. So... Lesson learned right at the outset. Yes, totally. I think you're completely right in saying that there's a lot of misconceptions or preconceptions about having, you know, a certain type of profile that allows you to apply to VC or be employable by VC. And um, I think this is a great example of like, if you show your uh, hard work and diligence and interest and curiosity, you can actually funnel these like raw skills into the job. And I think that's exactly the type of root in that we want to highlight with Associated. So I think that's a great case study and, and validation that these raw skills can be utilized really well in, in this kind of role. What I wanted to ask you about was something at the beginning, what you said around, you know, you guys becoming very, very close friends. How do you think like friendship plays into your ability to do your jobs well? And how do you complement each other is probably what I mean more. So I think that, a good working relationship is based on trust. And I think having a solid friendship alongside your working relationship enhances that trust. And that means, for example, if Kathy is pitching a deal and I think you know, the deal perhaps is not the best thing we should be looking at, um, I can share that feedback without Kathy taking offense to it. Um, yeah. or, or likewise, you know, Kathy can like, give me feedback on things I'm doing well or not. 
and I don't interpret that as her attacking me, for example. So, you know, we can challenge and push each other quite, quite, quite a lot and quite productively. With Definitely. I think also we were talking about this actually right before we jumped on is that when you're joining as an analyst or an associate, a lot of your conviction and confidence in your own judgment is quite fragile. You're quite, you know, self-conscious of the fact that you haven't been doing this for a long time. You don't have the pattern recognition that some of the senior people on the team have. And so having someone on the team that you trust and who you can go to to just run something by beforehand is so, so, so valuable. And then also on the technical side, so when you're coming at it without a background in finance or from the investment world or, you know, even venture capital specifically, I remember when I joined in my first week, I sat down at my desk and my colleague was like, okay, great, we're doing a Series A follow-on investment, go. And I, I walked over to Michael and I was like, Michael, what's a cap table? <laughs> like, what, what do I do? And he was like, okay, um, don't worry, I got you. <laughs> and he basically built this cap table from scratch. And he was like, let me just walk you through this like one step at a time. And that kind of trust and friendship was just so important because it meant that I felt like I could go to someone and ask that. I mean, now arguably very stupid. And at the time, I didn't realize just quite how you know little knowledge I had question rather than stressing out or, you know, frantically Googling and figuring out a way to learn this. I mean, when you're coming into venture capital, there's so much terminology, there's so much jargon, there's, there is a fair degree of technical stuff and the legal documents and, you know, cap table structuring and all that, that, you know, you almost come in assuming you should know this stuff, but how would you, if you've never seen it before? So I think just having that friend that you really trust on the team who you can turn to, to ask those questions I couldn't have done it without it. I think I would have been extremely stressed out <laughs> for 90% of my first six months if I hadn't had that. So I feel very lucky that we have that kind of relationship. It sort of it doesn't really need saying, but I want to say it anyway, because it's just so nice to hear you talk about stuff like that. Like friendship in the workplace, I think, is really, really crucially important. And like you say, trust leads to like more productive challenge and therefore better outcomes. We actually just had, the last episode, we had Will Bricker from Hustle Fund on, and he talked a lot about his relationship with Elizabeth Yin, the partner that he ports into. And it's it's not dissimilar from, from what you just spoke about, you know, like around education and sharing ideas and that kind of stuff. But obviously the dynamic is a little bit different, and we haven't necessarily heard too much about relationships between people at similar levels and how you can work together although you did at the beginning you talk a little bit about specialisms didn't you and like how does that kind of stuff work between you two do you have similar areas of interest or very different very different uh, yeah. yeah yeah so i tend to focus on frontier technologies deep technologies uh, i'm very curious about the history of technology the future of technology um bringing inventions to the market in, in a commercial perspective now uh, i think you know when when i joined downing and in the first sort of two years, two and a half years, I sort of decided to just work on everything and just build up a broad knowledge of skills across lots of different types of deals. And then it's only been in the last couple of months where I've started to find specific areas that I really want to focus on. Uh, but, that, but, but that's a work in progress. And, you know, it's an exciting work in progress or, or perhaps sometimes even a, a scary work in progress because you're not sure whether you're going to end up in the right area that, that's working out really well or you're going to have to write it off and move elsewhere. Um, but the great thing about working with Kathy is that you know, I can look at a company in, in a space that she's familiar with and I can really lean on her to get insights into the opportunity. One, one quick example, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at a business and thinking about how it's valued 
And Kathy actually has a lot more experience looking at deals in that space and how you value companies in that space. So I was able to just ping her a note and say, hey, Kathy, can you look at this and help me out? Sort of think about how I can value this business because you've looked at several other companies in that area. Um, so, so I tend to sort of focus on deep tech, but always lean on Kathy when it comes to her uh, areas of interest. So which are consumer and media technology. So we've pretty much gone complete opposite spectrums, um, which is an interesting journey in itself. And I think a lot of people that I've spoken to have gone through this process, and I'm not sure if it resonates with you guys, be curious if it does, is you start and all you want to do is specialize because you realize every time you're talking to a founder, you're only kind of scratching the surface of understanding their sector, their market. And so I had this urge to specialize when I first joined. And Michael always said, you know, well, because he's been doing this quite a bit longer than I have, it's, well, actually, it is useful to start as a generalist and then to figure out the areas that you organically feel pulled towards as opposed to forcing a focus. And it took me a while to kind of internalize that. But it is actually, and at the risk of this being totally unsolicited advice I'm dishing out, I definitely recommend that approach where there's a benefit to being generalist. You see a lot you learn a hell of a lot um, and you organically start to recognize which sectors and areas you're being pulled to. So I've gravitated towards consumer deals and media deals, anything to do with the future of entertainment, the future of social platforms, the future of consumer brands, the things that we surround ourselves with in our daily lives. I find that deeply fascinating, whereas I think they're not sure Michael quite gets as excited as I do about that stuff versus all the weird and wacky, you know, emerging technologies. That's totally up Michael's street. But it's taken a bit of time to come to that conclusion. It's great to be at a generalist fund where I've had the freedom to discover that as opposed to being forced into one direction. But I definitely remember as an associate starting out and just feeling this desire to specialize because it was just so overwhelming to walk into conversations with founders, having learned about their industry, you know, right about the time I read their pitch deck for the first time. So don't know how you guys felt about that when you were starting out, but. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so lucky to have the chance to be a generalist as well. Like I totally know what you're saying about the sort of urge to specialize in something. I think for me, it definitely came from a place of like wanting to prove value and be valuable and have, you know, like trusted input, but there's definitely something to be said for taking your time with getting there and enjoying the journey of being allowed to be a generalist. Yeah. I guess this is maybe preempting one of the questions that you would have asked us later around, you know, what you look for in candidates and it'll make sense in a second as to why I'm bringing this up now. But when I first started and again, Michael, I don't think you recall giving me this wisdom, but you did in, and I had a lot of insecurities around value add. You know, what do I bring to these companies? You know, still fairly early on in my career, worked a little bit in enterprise, but, you know, really, I don't have any specialist skill set. And so the way Michael broke it down is fundamentally what you do as a VC is four things. One, you find exciting companies to work with. Two, you convince those entrepreneurs that they should be working with you and your fund. Three, you execute the deal. So, you know, you structure it, you get the term sheet done and all that kind of good stuff. And then four, you add value to portfolio companies. And I guess when you're looking at that in terms of your background, you don't need a finance or a banking background or, you know, or anything like that for, the, for three out of the four things. And then a lot of the value add also, it doesn't, I think a, a myth or something that you always assume as an associate is that you really need that domain expertise when actually a lot of it is just 
being willing to go that extra mile. And, you know, if you, if the founder poses a question for you, finding that right contact for them, you know, it's not that you have to have all the answers, but that you're willing to hustle and, you know, get them connected to the right person who might be able to answer that question. But for the associates listening, stressed about value <laughs> add, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel and, you. Know, <laughs> and, and, and you know, value add is, is is one of those things which VCs, you know, we shout about value add a lot of times. But if you speak to, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, if you speak to the CEO uh, of Monzo, if you speak to the, you know, the founders of TransferWise, um, and you ask them, how much would you allocate your success to the advice that you got from the VC? I'm not sure what that percentage would be, but I'm pretty sure it'd be quite low. Um, and this, you know, this might sound controversial, but you know, the entrepreneurs are the ones doing the work. And, and I think, you know, VCs in some ways have to be um, like doctors. You know, doctors have this thing, do no harm. So that's the first thing you want to do on a board, <laughs> you know, do no harm. And, you know, there's no pressure for you to come in and be telling entrepreneurs how to run their companies. Now, you know, Kathy and I, you know, we, we try to be useful to entrepreneurs as much as we can, but we're still very early in our careers. You know, I've only been doing this for three years with Downing, Kathy, two, two and a bit years. Um, we've still got a lot to learn. You know, VC, I suspect... You become more useful to founders the longer you've been doing this. And, you know, we shouldn't put pressure on ourselves to be, you know, the people on the boards that will have all the answers. Um, as Kathy pointed out earlier, you know, we can find the answers from elsewhere. We can tap into our networks and speak to more experienced people. And that's where, as investors, we can add some value and hopefully help the entrepreneurs in, in some, some meaningful way, perhaps not in a material way, but a meaningful way. Interesting. Michael, I had a bit of a nosy around your background and, and you kind of alluded to this a, a bit as well is that prior to Downing, you were at other VC funds or other funds like the Oxford Seed Fund and then you did some work at the Savannah Fund in Kenya. How did those experiences, I guess, contribute to getting your feel for the industry or were these very predetermined choices that you made for career long-term venture, or was it completely serendipitous? How did the, those experiences build into where you are now? That's a really interesting question. Um, the whole VC path is always serendipitous. So even though I knew about five or six years ago that I wanted to work as, as a venture capitalist, my entry into venture capital was the least expected way possible because I ended up finding this VC in Nairobi on Twitter. I followed him on Twitter. He was posting about an internship role in Kenya. I tweeted him back, DM'd him, and, and got, got an internship in, in Nairobi. I mean, that's the last thing I expected in terms of my entry into venture capital, because I was applying to all the seed funds in London and, and all the Series A funds, and I kept getting the same kind of feedback. You know, you don't have investment banking experience. You know, I'm a Kenzie consultant. You haven't worked in a startup, even though I'd actually co-founded a restaurant and had a online business when I was at university. And I think back then in London, a lot of VC funds had a profile of people that they would hire. And I was not part of that profile. You know, I was in Birmingham, you know, born in Uganda, grew up in Birmingham. Um, so I didn't have any of the networks. So when I came across this opportunity on Twitter, I was like, I don't care if it's in Nairobi, Kenya, I'm going to go there and I'm going to learn about the venture business. And it was a fantastic opportunity. You know, I spent four months working directly with the GP uh, of the fund and I learned a lot more about venture capital working with this GP in, in Kenya than I would have done working at a huge fund in the UK as, a, as an intern in one of their programs. So the Twitter, I guess, connection was kind of serendipitous. You know, if I wasn't scrolling through Twitter, I wouldn't have come across this opportunity. But the plan was always to try and get into venture capital and doing an internship in Nairobi 
you know, helped me a lot, actually. Learning about the industry, learning whether this is something I really wanted to do, and then using that to basically leapfrog into other opportunities in, in, in the UK when I came back. Cool. Were you looking at different sectors in Kenya and then back back at Oxford? Sure. So in Kenya, a lot of the companies we were looking at, and you know, bearing in mind, I was only there for four months, so not substantially long enough for me to be able to um, uh, get a sense of the whole tech scene in Kenya. Uh, but we spent a lot of time looking at fintech companies. Kenya has something like half of its GDP going through mobile money. Uh, I'm not sure where the UK is, but you know, mobile money in Kenya is quite a substantial part of the economy. So you know, we spent a lot of time looking at fintech companies. And then when I joined the Oxford Seed Fund, which is a pre-seed fund that's run by MBA students on an annual basis, um, we looked at a lot of Oxford-affiliated companies, and a lot of them were sort of life sciences, uh, deep tech, a uh, few consumer companies, uh, but it was mostly uh, sort of life sciences, health tech, uh, deep tech type companies. So a bit of a mix in terms of sector focus, uh, but that was always okay with me because I just wanted to get as much exposure as possible in terms of the different sectors and different types of companies that you would look at as a VC. And so fast forwarding to our present situation, are you guys actively investing at the moment? Uh, We will probably not do as many new deals as we did last year uh, because right now the option value of holding onto cash is very, very high. A lot of funds do want to hold back a little bit and see how things will play out. We are still doing deals and, you know, Kathy's got a deal that she's working on. I've got a deal that I'm working on. We'll be signing term sheets over the next few weeks, but we're certainly not going to have the same deployment pace that we had uh, uh, pre-COVID because there's still a lot of uncertainty. You know, we, we don't really understand COVID-19. But yeah, I do want to do deals. You know, when you look at fund returns, some of the best investments get made in a downturn. Um, and it would be very silly of us to completely pull back and not to think about, okay, well, where, where can we find value and where will value be generated in this environment and post-COVID as well? And in terms of how your portfolio companies are coping with um, the virus, what kind of advice are you giving? Much like every other fund, we recommended that they look at you know, making sure they can weather out the storm and have sufficient cash reserves to, to get through. And it's been really fascinating just to see the leadership of founders that, that we've been working with in a time of crisis and really quite encouraging. And what I've loved seeing is so many of our companies have virtual happy hours and just finding creative ways to keep that team spirit going through this crisis and keeping staff motivated while also just being really mindful that we're going through a global pandemic, we're in lockdown and you know there's people who are actually having a really awful time living in a small apartment or you know ha- having to look after children whilst also juggling work. So uh, just the leadership, the camaraderie and the, the amazing team cultures that have come to surface and that we've been able to see through this have been fantastic. And at Downing, obviously, as well, it's been great to see how, you know, through this, you really have to reinforce culture and team spirit. And yeah, the two things we said to our companies at the start is right now you've got two strategic assets. You've got cash and you've got team morale. So it's just been a really fascinating couple of months, really. Although I'm definitely looking forward to pubs reopening and going to networking events again. Never thought I'd say that, but <laughs> looking forward to some good VC happy hour. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. And just on the topic of team spirit, it reminds me of what we were talking about earlier and 
you know the relationship that you do have like how does that translate how does it translate to working remotely are you ringing each other all the time yeah yeah I think someone someone said this recently to me that now you just make up for it a bit in quantity so whereas previously you might go for a lunch together and that's your catch-up now I feel like we're just doing a lot more calls like whatsapp and zoom and you know facetime and and whatnot so and I've gotten used to it I, I think it was obviously it took a bit of adjusting in the first couple of weeks probably the first three weeks were a bit awkward and you know you're kind of settling into what is the, what does this world look like but now it feels comfortable and Michael you said this the other day you said it's now weird when someone calls you and they don't have their video on yeah yeah it's so true I would have been like oh I don't want to see someone on video and now I'm like wait aren't yeah you? that's suspicious <laughs> yeah that's nice I feel the same way I've got um my colleague Pete who I work with ordinarily would be in the same place most days of the week and at first I was like hmm, what am I missing there's something missing there's some something is not happening with my time and then I realized and now I just ring him literally all the time whenever I've got like the smallest question <laughs> that is actually true I, I'm, I feel much less hesitant now to call someone whereas previously it would have felt like oh I'll email or I'll send them an IM but unless like the house is on fire I'm not going to call whereas now I'm like nope <laughs> pick up the phone immediately there's probably some significant efficiency gains coming off the back of that I also wonder if this is the same with everyone on here so you know I've, I've found that people are actually a lot more open uh, and you can have some really, really open conversations with people, whether it's in your team or, or with entrepreneurs and founders. And, you know, again, going back to the point Kathy made around the portfolio, I've been blown away by uh, the leadership that's been demonstrated by founders in what is a really, really difficult time. You know, it's a lot harder for these businesses relative to VCs. I think we're quite lucky in our positions and we're somewhat protected from it, although not, not, not entirely protected from it. Um, but, you know, I've had some really interesting conversations with founders and, and, you know, I think in these moments, we've, we've just seen people open up a lot more um, in, in the work environment as, as well as in the personal environment. And, and that will be one of the good things that come, comes out of this. Um, you know, people will just be a bit more open and people will have more conversations. People will start picking up the phone. Um, you know, I appreciate, you know, it, our sort of generation is always a bit weird when someone calls you on a phone. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, I remember having an interesting conversation with the founder where... Um, I just randomly phoned them up. This is pre-COVID. I randomly phoned them up and they were like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's, what's going on? I was like, do you really think that the only time I call you up is when something has gone wrong or when something is not going well? Um, and th- that, has, that has changed. So I think, you know, people will just be a lot more open to having, you know, audio visual conversations on a more regular basis without feeling funny about it. I think the other thing that we spoke about in the, along that same vein is that um, this has almost given some founders permission psychologically to make some really tough decisions, um, specifically around cost cutting and restructuring or even pivoting and, you know, dropping certain projects because they've been forced to really, really rationalize resources. So we spoke about that, Michael and I, before about how it's really interesting to see how this is, yeah, given some founders permission to make those tough decisions uh, for themselves. And, you know, we're still, still in the middle of it all, right? So we'll see, but at least it's been encouraging that there's some silver linings through it all. Yeah, I just want to give an audio description to our listeners. There was a lot of nodding as Kathy was saying all of that. So there's a lot of agreement amongst us. I think that's true. 
<laughs> Love a good consensus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to be anti-consensus. We say <laughs> something contrarian, Michael. Say something. Yeah, where's, where's your contrarian hat? Cross <laughs> <laughs> is too agreeable. <laughs> No, but I think it's true. And what, what you guys were saying about like people opening up, I actually had a really nice phone call on Friday, I think. And I think on Friday, I was, for some reason, you know, I feel like some days we just have sad days or down days, especially like now when you kind of feel a little bit hopeless on one day and then you feel fine. And I was having one of my sad days and I was interviewing this senior executive at WeWork and we we're talking about how this affected us. And she was like, I think change is really beautiful. I think change is such a beautiful thing because if you look at your life in six month increments, most of the time you're trending upwards and things are becoming like better. And this person was like so cheerful and so open and it turned into like me kind of interviewing her to her providing like a therapy session for me. Um, and we'd never, you know, met in person. This was the first conversation that we had ever and we were going into like very deep you know emotions and feelings and I don't think that that would have happened had this time period not um in a way kind of cracked us open a little bit I do have a theory about that I think it's because you can see into someone's living room or their bedroom and something <laughs> about that setting you know where you're like I'm in your house you're in my house <laughs> yes that's true yeah I think that's a really good segue actually because um our first question is going to dive into people being in each other's homes maybe in a virtual way (laughs) um (laughs) okay so the segment is is our question time segment and um we're still trialing a slightly newer version of this at the moment so it's gonna consist of three quick fire either or type questions to help us get to know you a little bit better and get into your heads a bit um, so if that's all right, we'll, we'll kick off, shall we? Sure. So the first question is, working from home or working from the office? Working from home. Working from home. Working from home has been great. It's been delightful. I know people have had very different working from home experiences. And there's this whole, there's people who don't have children and work from home and it's great. And then there's everyone with kids and it's been, you know, a challenge so I'm very conscious of whenever people ask me that question, I always feel guilty of, you know, how relaxed and great working from home and lockdown has actually been in my experience. But no, I've, you know, found it quite easy to adapt to. Um, obviously, we had a few teething issues, which I think most funds have just as you're kind of trying to find your groove of virtual team meetings. And now that we don't print and sign things anymore, how do you know, we have to adopt DocuSign and as the little things like that that you just don't really think about until oh wow okay we're all digital now we need to figure out how to make all of our processes a lot more efficient but other than that i felt you know i think it's been going well um meeting meeting a lot of companies noticing how you can do six to ten meetings a day a lot more easily when everyone's virtual because you're not commuting between offices and coffee shops um drinking a lot less coffee actually it's been great (laughs) Yeah, you know, likewise, I think it's it's fantastic to be able to sort of work from home and, and strip out that commute that you do every day. That's been wonderful. You can meet more companies. You know, meetings are very punctual now. You know, everyone turns up on time, leaves on time, which is which is great. But you know, I do miss kind of like that office vibe. You know, you bump into the office, you ask people what they're working on, 
you kind of overhear certain conversations and you dip in and out and, you know, you sort of pick up lots of different things in the office. So I do miss that. And I think it'll, it'll be good to get some of that back because it's, it's, you know, it's great for bouncing ideas um, as opposed to always having to schedule calls with someone or just calling someone randomly and not sure whether they're going to pick up or not. Whereas in the office, you can sort of just get in, in and out of these conversations, which, which can be quite interesting when you're developing ideas or thinking about uh, investments. But, you know, the flexibility that comes with all this has been fantastic. Okay, it's unanimous. We'll move on. Um, mm-hmm. The second question is harder. The second one is, if you started your own fund, which plenty of people are doing now, and I could see both of you doing in the future, uh, what would you name it? It's a really good question. Uh, I don't know, probably something to do with science or, or something to do with um, the galaxy or something. I'm not quite sure what, to be honest. I haven't thought about it too deeply. Oh, man, you're going to make my answer look so stupid. I'm going to say your capital because I think it'd be really funny on a cap table. If it's like, Sequoia, my seed, your capital. Wait, what? My capital. Your capital. That would be so annoying for looking at capitals. Cap- yeah, I thought, I don't know. Oh man, Michael, why do you have to say something like that? That's quite good though because it's like, is this your capital capital? Like, is this, no, yeah, your capital, your, your, your capital yeah, yeah. capital. <laughs> I like that. I'm That's so fine. far in two and a bit years from not knowing what a cap table is to being able to make puns. <laughs> <laughs> goals. <laughs> Big goals. This could be you too. <laughs> I love the name. I love it. I'm sold already. Are you in, Michael? Are you in? <laughs> Your capital, yeah? Raising 2021. <laughs> coming, coming to city near you soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'd invest. I think it's funny. There you go. Cornerstone LP. Woo. Okay. All right. Last quick fire question then. Um, this one's a bit more about the day job and how you guys maybe work together and do different things. We are interested in which part of the process of meeting a new company do you like the most? Is it getting to know about the team or getting to know more about the product? I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to be very open about this and just say, you know, I think... I try to take things systematically and, and holistically uh, because historically you think about how venture capital evolved and how uh, different styles of venture capital investing evolved. You had people that focused on uh, VCs who focused on people. You had people who, you had VCs who focused on technology and you had investors who focused on markets. Now you could have this massive debate about which is more important when the reality is you need to have all three singing in harmony. So I guess to awkwardly answer the question, I want to think about all three things, uh, but I have to say, you know, typically I get excited about the product initially, and then you, know, you really have to get to know the founders intimately. And, and founders always have amazing stories, amazing, amazing stories and, and, and backgrounds, and that, that can be exciting as well. So, sorry for not answering the question entirely, but I thought I'd sort of share my thinking on that. Kathy, I love talking to founders about why they decided to drop whatever it is they were doing before and dedicate, you know, the next ten plus years of their life to this venture of all the things they could be doing with their life. Why this? I love asking that question. The flip side of that and why it's so great to have a teammate, um, especially someone who knows you really well, can keep you in check, is that when you're someone like me who gets very excited about the potential of people and you buy into their ideas, is that you fall into the confirmation bias trap really quickly. So I definitely, as soon as I'm sold on a team, get super excited. And so it's really helpful to have someone a bit more focused on product and market and you know keeping me in check alongside me because otherwise yeah I 
I get very excited about a team and then kind of it's confirmation bias from there onwards. Cool. Mm. Um, so is, is Downing hiring at the moment? We just hired two new people. So we're currently not hiring because our team has just expanded significantly. So we brought Jack on board, Jack Edie, who just joined us a week ago. Super excited to have him. And then we had Warren Rogers join us as partner. Ooh, I want to say a month ago now or, or something like that. So fairly, yeah. fairly recently. So yeah, we're currently not hiring because we've just hired two more people. So we're now headcount 12. 13, something like that, or quite a sizable team. So yeah, unfortunately, currently not hiring, but actively participating in various mentoring programs. And um, I think, Michael, you're, you're on the Future VC mentoring program as well, right? Yeah, uh, so we, we had an internship last year with Future VC, which is a VC runs, diversity VC is all about increasing diversity in, in the venture capital industry, because we all know how, how like, despite this, the people on this call, <laughs> the venture capital industry does not look like this. Um, so, you know, through that nonprofit organization, we have a program called Future VC, which takes uh, a cohort of aspiring individuals every year, and we put them through a, an internship program. And, you know, we also sort of provide master classes on various venture capital topics. We didn't do internships this year because of the COVID crisis, but we will be next year. And Downing is always part of the program and we will take an intern. So there's always no harm in engaging with us, even though we might not necessarily be hiring. Um, I think if you're trying to connect with a particular VC, it helps if you can speak to them early on and get your name in the hat, so to speak. And when an opportunity comes up, you, know, you might be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Deepka from North Zone gave some similar advice when we had her on as well. She was like, it's always worth getting in touch with a fund and speaking to people that you're interested in being in touch with before they start to hire. I think we all know that, you know, frequently jobs in VC can not end up advertised widely and they can end up being filled by networks and stuff like that. So good advice to to throw your hat in the ring early. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, But maybe we could talk a bit about the processes that you guys have been through. You said earlier that you've been at Downing for two, three years, so respectively, and you're both principals now. Did you join as more junior colleagues? And what's that what's that journey been like for you both? Yeah, so so I started as a as an intern, sort of an analyst slash internship program uh, back in early 2017. I was doing my MBA at the time, and I was interning alongside uh, the MBA program. And then joined as um, an, an associate. And I think about the, the thing about Downing, it's very, you know, this might not look like it, but it's, it's actually very entrepreneurial within the fund itself. So early on, we had a lot of responsibilities relative to if we'd been at a much more established venture capital fund. So, you know, came in as an analyst, intern, went, went to associate, and right off the bat, we were already sort of working on substantial bits of the deal process and Kathy I'm sure you can touch on your experience when you sort of joined as an associate. Yeah say I mean I think that's one of the benefits of joining a relatively small team with a lot of capital to deploy is you're thrown in the deep end and the goal always when you're joining as an associate is to get to a point where you can increasingly operate independently and you know start sourcing deals and taking them through the process independently Um, and we definitely got a lot of opportunity to learn how to do that at Downing very, very quickly. So, you know, both of us, well, got promoted fairly quickly as a result of, you know, it's sink or swim. (laughs) Um, 
which is also why you need to really love the job, um, which we both do. The, the typical ladder or career ladder in VC is you start as an analyst, then you do your three-ish year associate stint, um, and then you move up to, to principal level. I, I do find it interesting, obviously, there's a lot of people that started around the same time as Michael and, and I did. And you see the ones that at this point, so they're about you know three, four years in, and they decide to go into entrepreneurship instead of you know staying on the VC track. There's kind of this like associate cliff where you're making that decision of, am I staying in VC or am I going and joining a startup? So obviously both of us have made the career VC decision, but I find that really interesting to see. So in the kind of three years then that you've been at Downing and you've had that promotion, have you found that your responsibilities have changed? And if so, did that change start to happen before the promotion and it was sort of organic or is it a bit more formal? Yeah, I think most most promotions tend to be organic, and I, I think you, you sort of you, you don't you don't get promoted into the role and then have to scramble and start doing the role. You're typically demonstrating some of the things that you need to be doing already uh, before you can get there. So you know, both both Kathy and I were leading deals as associates, and and that meant that it was actually it did make sense to kind of make the promotion happen given some of the responsibilities that were uh, being picked up already but of course you know, every fund is different every venture fund is different you know you can be you know you can be you could be an associate somewhere and have a lot of responsibility like Kathy and I were very fortunate to have that or you can be principal somewhere and not have a lot of responsibility so it's it, it varies from fund to fund and everyone has a unique story I, I mostly ignore job titles um, I think you, you deal with the individual on an individual basis and you see where things get to. Because I know in, in this industry, people try and give them too much weighting when actually it's down to the individual and what they can do uh, individually. And Kathy, I know you've, you've got some stories around some of this title stuff, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So I've definitely, when I, and I, I don't know if you guys had this, but I found that as an associate or as with the associate job title, I had a handful of founders who straight out emailed saying they don't want to meet unless I'm bringing a partner to the meeting, which obviously was a bit of a shock to the system. And I found quite difficult to wrap my head around, especially given that at Downing, I knew that even as an associate, if I was really passionate about a deal and had a solid rationale as to why this is a great investment opportunity, I had all the tools at my disposal to push it through our process. Um, then, then again, you know, being empathetic and understanding that in some funds, it is the case that unless you have a partner championing the deal, there's no way that it's going to get through. But that wasn't or isn't the case at Downing. Mm. I think that's an interesting story to share, actually. Um, one that I'm, I've experienced, I'm sure other people have. Sometimes you get it explicitly and other times I've had it more implicitly. I don't know if you guys have had it when you turn up to a meeting oh, and yeah. you can see the visible look of disappointment yeah. on the yeah. person's face. Yeah. The, the funniest one I had, and obviously this has nothing to do with job titles, was going to an event at a large tech company and walking in, I was assumed to be part of the catering team. Now, <laughs> the listeners, maybe the listeners don't know, but actually I'm black. And th- th- those little things happen a lot in this industry, which is, you know, part, part of the reason why, you know, we're doing all the work at sort of diversity VC and, and trying to increase diversity and, you know, making sure that diverse investors are given the profile they deserve. Um, that's something as an industry we need to try and shape because there's a lot of pattern matching that happens. You know, it happens on, on a racial level, gender level, uh, anyone that looks slightly different, anyone that went to a different school, anyone that doesn't fit the kind of like McKenzie IB level, or even this whole thing around um, 
you know, trying to have people who, who you might find culturally fitting in, in what you're uh, trying to build. But, you know, thanks to platforms like this, I think that there's a lot of changes happening that we can all be very encouraged by. And, you know, hopefully we can all go out there and shout about it and make some noise about making this a much more interesting industry to work in. Absolutely. I don't think it's anything more to say. We're going to end it there. <laughs> Great. That was such like a nice little bow um, over the whole conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, um, it was fun. Thank you so much for having us. No, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. If, if people want to get in touch with you, can they? And, and where could they find you? Yeah, I mean, I think both of our details are like all over the internet. <laughs> so we're pretty easy to get a hold of as my spam folder is uh, evidence of. But my email is kathy at downingventures.com and I'm on Twitter, Kathy Gramatka, and on LinkedIn. And my details are on both of those sites. So it's super easy to get in touch with me. Yeah, but same. So LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, email, very accessible. It's not hard to get hold of us. Cool. And us too, if you wanted to get hold of any of us from Associated, we're at associated underscore pod on Twitter, or you can email us on associatedpodcast.gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening to Associated this week. You can subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us some comments. We're always open to feedback and we will see you next week. 